Log Talk Radio.
we're grateful because if it had not been for you we would not be here we opened our eyes this morning God because you gave us the strength to open our eyes we were able to rise because you gave us strength and our limbs and the facilities of our body we were able to get here God because you blessed us and brought us the way of safety and did not allow harm to come to us Lord we're grateful to again come into your presence because we know where the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty and as we come before you today have your way Lord let flesh be crucified that you might be glorified that your people might be edified in the name of Jesus for God in you is life and that's what we seek God life eternal life God we pray oh God today that you will touch every person that have come seeking you Lord bind the hand of the devil God rebuke the hand of the enemy Lord God let your anointing that resonates in this place even now God let there be an outpouring on your people we need you God to take us to another level in you Lord God we're faced with demonic forces God evil spirits have come up against us Lord and we need to be fortified with your power God we can't make it on our own strength God we don't have enough to stand on Lord but we know God that your joy is our strength fill us up on today in the name of Jesus somebody have come this morning burdened down God with the issues of life God somebody God is in the battle of their life somebody's God fighting in their mind and in their spirit Lord where the devil have come in to war against them Lord but we thank you God because we know greater are you that's within us than he that is within this world God we know God that you are a deliverer Lord that you're the same yesterday today and forever and you know short of your promise Lord and you're able to deliver us Lord touch us on today Lord we need you like never before fill us up with the Holy Ghost God and give us a refilling Lord but when we leave here today Lord we can leave with your anointing Lord that as we meet men and women boys and girls they might be converted to know who you are Lord in the mighty name of Jesus we pray we thank you because you are a healer you're the God that healeth thee and healing is in your wings and you're able to touch our feeble bodies you're able to save our troubled souls and in the name of Jesus bind every demon Lord every demonic force Lord God that comes to keep us in the same place Lord we're willing God to surrender and say yes to your will Lord we're willing to turn our lives God over into your hands Lord because we come to the place God where we realize like never before we need you Jesus more than anything we know we need you Jesus while men are trying to find God solutions to this chaotic world God we're looking to you 
you, Lord, because we know for every right desire, there is an answer. And Jesus, sure that answer. There's no need for us, God, to turn hither or thither, Lord. We need but to look for you, Lord, because you're the answer, God, for our troubled lives, Lord. Touch on the day, God. Break every yoke, oh God. Save on the day, God. Deliver on the day, God. Jesus, we need you, Lord. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We're crying out to you, Lord. We know that you're able to save our souls. We know that you're able, God, to heal our bodies, Jesus. We know that you're able, God, to turn our situations around. Jesus, no other help we know. No other help we know. No other help we know, God. You're able, Jesus, to deliver our children. You're able, Jesus, to save the unsaved husband. You're able, Jesus, to heal the cancer patient. Nothing too hard for you, Jesus. No other God we know. We know that you're able, Jesus. We know that you're able, Jesus. We say yes to your will, God. Yes to your way, Lord. Have your way, Jesus. And we'll thank you for it. And we'll give your name the praise. And we'll bless you, Lord. Yes, we thank you, Lord. And we bless your holy name. Come on, open your mouth and give the Lord some praise. your heads together right now. Listen, I don't know where you're listening to this at. Maybe you're in your car, you're at the crib, maybe at the mall, the country club, maybe in the hospital. You could even be on lockdown, but I dare you to get this in your spirit, speak to your situation and say, I will Put your hands together. Freddie P, can you let him know something? I will bless his holy name. Whether in good time, sorrow, sunshine, or in rain. Everything in me will find the reason to bless his name. Yeah, yeah.
I'm going to ask that we all bow our heads in prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed. For many thousands of people here today, this will be an hour of decision. And you will never be the same today. Even if you refuse Christ, you'll never be the same. Once you've faced him, once you've heard the gospel and rejected it, you can never be the same. It says when the rich young ruler rejected Christ, he turned away grieved, emotionally disturbed. Because when you reject the claims of Christ, that's a very serious thing. It will be an hour of decision for many of you who receive him today. Your life will never be the same. Your home will never be the same. So let's listen carefully and prayerfully today and reverently to the message of the Word of God. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank Thee for this love of God that reaches around the world and engulfs all of mankind. Thou dost love the Russians and the Chinese as much as thou dost love the British or the Americans or the African. Thou dost love the whole world. And thou didst send thy son to die for the whole world. And we're all included in thy redemption plan. And we thank thee that at this hour of history we can stand and proclaim good news that God is love and that God is willing to forgive. We pray that many this day will receive that message, accept it and act on it and live by it. For we ask it in his name, amen. We've been having a marvelous time here in Chicago. I think Clip has already told you how big this building is. There's no indoor arena in the world except the Astrodome in Houston, Texas that's bigger than this. And here today, thousands of people just about filled to capacity today, as it has been almost every night during this crusade, except I think the opening night. But we've had gigantic crowds that have come here to this great arena night after night, and we've seen thousands of people coming forward to make their commitment to Christ. Now today, I want you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, the 11th chapter. The 11th chapter of Luke's Gospel, beginning with verse 29. Beginning with verse 29. I hope you have your Bibles. How many have a Bible today? Lift them up. Look at the Bibles. Thousands of Bibles everywhere. Now the 29th chapter, or the 11th chapter and the 29th verse of Luke's Gospel. And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, this is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah was a sign unto Nineveh, 
so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the utmost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Now, ancient Israel wanted Jesus to do something sensational to prove that he was really the Son of God. But Jesus is saying in this passage, you're seeking for a sign. All right, I'll give you a sign. I am the sign. And Jesus was saying that the people of Jonah's day listened to the message of God and repented, and they're going to rise up into judgment as witnesses against the people of Jesus' day that rejected him. He said the Queen of the South recognized the wisdom of Solomon, but he said in me you have a greater wisdom than all the wisdom of Solomon. He said you're blind. You cannot see the truth. You're deaf and you cannot hear the truth. He said I'm the truth. I'm the light of the world. I'm the sign. Now, when you face Jesus, what is your reaction? When you're confronted with Jesus Christ, what is your reaction? The reaction of the scribes and the Pharisees was one of hostility. The people of Nineveh's day were humbled and repented when they faced and confronted God. And the question that we all ask today is this question. What think ye of Christ? There's a rock opera at the moment called Jesus Christ the Superstar. All over the country, thousands of young people are talking about Christ. They can't escape him. There's a Broadway play right now entitled Godspell, a musical version of St. Matthew's Gospel. There's a new movie right now called Brother John in which Sidney Poitier plays Jesus Christ in the form of an Alabama black man. The front cover of Life magazine a few weeks ago ran Jesus Christ Superstar. And this rock opera from England was confronting young people with one question. Who is Jesus Christ? An 87-minute long electronic probe into the life of Jesus. Who is Jesus? And the opera concludes with the voice of Judas coming back from the dead and still questioning who Jesus is. Don't get me wrong, says Judas in the opera. I only want to know. And then the haunting chorus follows Jesus Christ Superstar. Do you think you are what they say you are? Jesus Christ, do you think you are what they say you are? It's interesting to me that in 1971, the plays, the books, 
the operas, the movies, about Jesus. Our generation cannot escape Jesus. And when Good News for Modern Man came out, a new translation of the New Testament by the American Bible Society, they sold 25 million copies. We cannot escape Jesus. I've never heard of an opera or a play even about Buddha or Muhammad or Gandhi. But our generation has become hung up on Jesus. Young people are talking about Jesus. He's the subject of conversation today on the campus, in the high school, everywhere. Young people are discussing Jesus Christ and they're asking the question, who is he? Who is this Jesus? We cannot escape him. You remember that day when Saul, who was persecuting Christians, was on the road to Damascus and a blinding light came and he fell down and the first question he asked was, who art thou, Lord? The question that our generation of young people on the campus are asking today is, who art thou, Lord? Who is Jesus? Why cannot we escape him? Why is he in our conscience and in our mind so that our plays and our poems and our operas are about him? Is he just a revolutionary hero? Or is he something more? He only lived 33 years. He never traveled more than 100 miles. He never had any formal education. And yet 2,000 years later, an entire generation is talking about Jesus Christ. Some say that he was a madman. Some of the people of his day said he was mad, said he was a maniac. Was he? There were others that said he was revolutionary. He'd come to lead a revolution. Was he a revolutionary? In the sense that he changed men's lives, he was, but he never led a revolution against Rome. He never led a revolution against the existing authorities. As a matter of fact, some of them tried to get him to, and some of them thought he was going to, and when they found out that he was building a spiritual kingdom, they were no longer interested in him. And when they tried to tempt him about that, he said, bring me a coin. And he said, whose picture's on that coin? They said, Caesar. He said, all right, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And the scripture says they quit asking him questions. They didn't know how to answer that. Or was Jesus an establishment man? Some people say that he represented the status quo. Some people say that Jesus Christ is the one upon which Western culture has been built and that America is really Jesus' organization on earth. Well, I want to tell you, if his organization depends on the bureaucracy we've built up in Washington, we're finished. There's not much hope for the world. Jesus Christ is not the establishment Christ. He's building another kingdom. He's building an eternal kingdom. And then there's some people that say that he was the first hippie. 
They said he had long hair, went around with his disciples in a commune. You know, actually, we don't know what he looked like. We don't know whether he had a long beard or not. Those are just pictures that artists have painted. We think he did. We don't know whether he had long hair or not. He probably did because the people of that day, that was the style. But we don't know. We don't have a picture of Jesus, and God did that purposely so that we would not be worshiping an image because God is a spirit and must be worshiped in spirit. And then there were people that said that he was deliberately evil, that he was an evil man, that he was a devil. What was he? That's the question. Jesus Christ, who are you? Who is Jesus? We can't escape him. We try to run from him, but there he is. He keeps popping up everywhere. Our greatest philosophers write about him. Our greatest historians write about him. Our greatest poems and plays are about him. Our greatest architecture is about him, even in the Soviet Union. You go to the Kremlin. I've been in the Kremlin, and it's all filled with paintings and pictures about Jesus. You go anywhere in the Soviet Union, and you'll see images and art, and much of the music has to do with Jesus. They can't escape him. Well, we know some things about him. We know he was a man. Jesus was completely human. He was representative of man because the Bible says he was identified, he was numbered with the transgressors. We know that he was hungry. We know he got thirsty. We know he got tired. We know that he had the joys of friendship. We know that he wept at the tomb of a dead loved one. We know that he had all the characteristics of a man, and yet, very interestingly, the Bible says that he never committed a sin. In fact, he stood in front of the people of his generation, and he said, I've never committed a sin. He said, if any of you, my neighbors, ever seen me commit a sin, they couldn't say a thing. Now, wouldn't that be something for a man to come along, 33 years of age, and say, who of you have ever seen me commit a sin? Well, I'll tell you, if I said that, all my team would jump straight up and say, I have. My wife's here. All of us are sinners, but Jesus was tempted in every point like as we are. He went through every temptation you've ever been through. There isn't a trial or a testing or a temptation that Jesus has not been through before you, and he resisted them and overcame them all. Everyone, he was a man, just like you. But he was more than that. He claimed to be the unique, only begotten, incarnate Son of God. In fact, he claimed pre-existence. The Scripture says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Before time began, he existed. He 
said, before Abraham was, I am. I am in eternal existence. No wonder they got angry. No wonder they threw stones at him. No wonder they tried to kill him. And no wonder they eventually did crucify him. He stood and said, I am God. Was he? Was he who that he claimed to be? The son of the living God? One day he asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter answered and said, well, some of them say you're John the Baptist come back, or you're Jeremiah, or you're Elijah. He said, I'm really not interested in what the people say. I'm interested, Peter, in what you say. What do you say? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, you've done well. You've passed your examination. But Peter, those are not your thoughts. Those thoughts came from God. It has been revealed to you by God. Jesus Christ claimed to be the Son of the living God. And you know, at his incarnation, or his birth, that was not his birth, or that wasn't the beginning, that wasn't the origin of Jesus. That was the beginning, that was the beginning of his incarnation. Because he has always existed. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God, the Bible says. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, the Logos, the Word of God, the eternal God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and lived like a man among us. That's what the Bible teaches. And when you come to Jesus Christ, you have to accept that. He wasn't just another revolutionary. He wasn't just another hippie. He was not just another great man. He was God in the flesh. And oh, the ethics that he taught. Never a man spake like that man. When you get hit on one side, he says, turn the other cheek. He never said what to do after that. But he did say, forgive 70 times 7. Count that up. How about the little irritations from your wife or your husband? Seventy times seven you forgive. My wife once said that the secret of a happy marriage is two good forgivers. And that's what it is. Two good forgivers. People that can forgive each other. Jesus taught that we're to forgive. He taught a revolution in the way we're to live. He taught us that it wasn't just our outward actions that God judges, but it's the inward thoughts and intents. He said, Moses said that in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I tell you that if you even look on a woman to lust after her, you've already committed it. He said, Moses said, thou shalt not murder, but I tell you if you have hate in your heart against your brother without cause, you're already guilty. He lifted man's ethics to the highest plane and demanded that we live that kind of a life. He himself lived that kind of a life. And 
The scripture says that he judges the inside. The Attorney General of the United States said the other day that America is imperiled more from within than without. And so are you here today in your personal life. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. Jesus said, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and thefts and blasphemies. All the evil in the world comes from the human heart. That's got to be changed. And that's why Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be converted. You must have a new beginning. And he can do it. How do you explain Jesus? Jesus Christ, are you what you say you are? You know, they only brought three charges against him to crucify him. One, they said, this man loves sinners. That was one charge. The second, he healed on the Sabbath day. And the third, he claimed to be the Son of God. Was he the Son of God? Look at his authority. Jesus came unto them and spake unto them, saying, All authority has been given to me. I know one thing. He forgave sin, and no prophet ever did that. Jesus himself forgave sin. He said, Thy sins are forgiven thee. I know that he had authority over nature. One day, one night, he was in a storm. The lightning was flashing, the thunder was roaring, the sea was raging, the wind was blowing, the disciples were afraid, and Jesus was asleep in the boat, and he stood up in the boat and said, Peace be still. The lightning quit its flashing, and the thunder quit its roaring, and the rain ceased to fall, and the wind quieted down, and the sea quieted down, and nature obeyed him. And our young people believe that today, because one of their top tunes at the moment is, put your hand in the hand of the one who calmed the sea. He calmed the sea. He had power over nature. I was flying Cliff Barrows and some of us were flying some time ago. I think we were leaving, we went a typhoon leaving the Philippines. And uh, just before we got out of the typhoon, I was the captain of the plane had invited me to sit up front with him. And it was fairly smooth. We had a lot of rain and all. It wasn't too rough. But all of a sudden, the plane hit something. It seemed to me as though it had hit a wall. It jolted and jerked and quivered and went up and down for about two minutes. And then all of a sudden, we plunged out into brilliant sunshine, into smooth air. And the captain turned to me with the perspiration coming down his face. He said, you know, he said, that was God telling us there's something up here more powerful than this airplane. But Jesus could take a storm like that and turn it around. He could take the lightning and throw it back in the cloud. He has power over nature. Why? Because he's the God of nature. Those are his laws. They're obeying him. He had authority over disease. I read uh, the other day where Mao Zedong in China claims to have cured 80% of all the deaf people in China. 
And one of those men that came back on the ping pong team said that Mao Zedong is the Jesus Christ of China today. They talk about personality cult. Looks like to me they've got quite a personality over there. But Jesus did make the blind to see. He made the deaf to hear. He made the dumb to talk. He raised the dead. According to the record, he had authority over demons. You say, Billy, do you believe in demons? I surely do. And Jesus confronted demons time after time, and he could cast them out. And people that were insane under the powers of demons would regain their sanity. And then look at the death he died. Did ever a man die like Jesus? The lightning flashed and the thunder roared and the earth began to shake. And even the soldiers confessed that this must be the Son of God. Anyone that can see Jesus on that cross and not be touched has a heart of stone. They first took off his clothes. Then they took long leather thongs with steel pellets or lead pellets on the end and beat him across the back until he could hardly stand up. Then they put a crown of thorns on his brow and his face was bleeding. And they laughed at him and they spit on him and they mocked him. And with one snap of his finger, 72,000 angels had already drawn their swords ready to come to his rescue and wipe this planet out of existence in the universe. And Jesus said, no, to this end was I born. And he dragged and lifted and hauled that cross. And don't you black people ever forget one thing. The man that helped Jesus carry that cross was a black man. And don't ever forget another thing. Jesus belongs to Africa as much as he does to Europe and Asia. He was born in that part of the world that touches Africa and Asia and Europe. And Jesus was not a white man like me, nor was he as black as some of you. We don't know what the color of his skin, but it must have been a dark color like the people of his day because he was a man like them. Don't ever say it's a white man's religion or a black man's religion. It's a world religion. He belongs to the world. When he died on that cross, and they nailed him, they put the nails in his hands. And you know what he said? Forgive them. They know not what they do. Forgive them. Could you forgive somebody that's putting nails in your hands and you know you didn't deserve it? He didn't squirm. He didn't yell. He didn't scream. He just took it and said, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's how he confronted the violence of his day. And then on the cross, he said, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he dropped his head and said, it's finished. 
What did he mean? He meant your plan of salvation was finished. God can now forgive you of all your sins because Jesus had finished God's plan for your salvation. Because you see, God knows every one of you by name. He has the hands of your head numbered. God looks upon you as though you were the only person in the whole universe. He sees you and you alone. And on that cross, Jesus had the capacity to think of you. And he loved you enough to stay on the cross. Was there ever such love as that when he could have been rescued and taken back to heaven and to sit on his throne, but he didn't? He said, no, I'm doing it for the joy that is set before me because he saw that he would be raised from the dead. He saw that there would be a gathering in the generations to come of a people for his name that would make up his body. He saw the day when we will reign with him in his kingdom. Yes, they laid him away in a tomb, and that's where Jesus Christ Superstar leaves him. But out in Kansas City, some people got a hold of the rock opera, and they carried it right on to the next step, the resurrection. And if you don't have the resurrection, you don't have any gospel. Jesus Christ is alive. And when they went out to the tomb that morning, they heard the greatest news the world has ever known. He is not here. He is risen. He is alive today. And the thing that inspired the disciples to turn the world upside down in their day was the resurrection. They went everywhere declaring that Jesus is alive. You know, some of us Christians live as though Jesus is dead. He's not dead. He's alive. Oh, you're going through your troubles and your trials and your temptations and your testings and your pressures. And you're under satanic attack all the time, constantly. You know, I think in many ways, in some ways, it's easier not to be a Christian in this world because the devil may leave you alone. The moment you receive Christ as Savior, you're in for it unless you live on your knees and live in the Scriptures and keep your guard up and have your spiritual armor on at all times. Because if you let down even one day as a Christian, you're in trouble. The moment you receive Christ, you see all the world is going this way. You turn around and start against the tide as a Christian. And that's hard. But you know, it's hard to be a sinner too, the older you get, because the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. I watch sometimes the programs on television where they have crime. I have never in my life seen criminals work so hard for the money they get. It looks like to me they could get a legitimate business and have a much easier time to get their money. They work at it. That is, according to the script. And I'm sure they do in real life. Jesus Christ is alive. And if he's not risen from the dead, if he's not alive, 
then there is no such thing as Christianity. We're yet in our sins, Paul said, and the whole thing's a farce. Forget it. And then the people that have received Christ, what has happened to them? We had uh, a fellow here the other night that was a Black Panther leader. He said that he thought he could change the world through the Black Panther movement. Until, he said, he met Jesus. And he said Jesus changed his life and took all the hate out. And now he said, I believe the world can be changed, but he said, I believe it can be done with Jesus' power. That's it. Jesus coming into our hearts. You know, if I, had, if I had no proof whatsoever, no scientific proof that Jesus ever lived, I still would trust him because of what he's done for me. The joy and the peace and the security and the love that he's given to me, his grace that is mine today. And then the satisfaction that he gives to those who have trusted him. Who art thou, Lord? Jesus Christ, are you who you say you are? This is the question that every one of you today are going to have to answer. Who is Jesus? If Jesus claimed to be God knowing he wasn't God, then he's a liar. And we will have to say, Jesus, you're a liar. You're a fraud and a hoax and you're the biggest fraud in the history of the human race. Or, if Jesus thought he was God and did not know the difference, then he desperately needed mental help. He needed several psychiatrists. The third alternative is that he was who he claims to be, God in the flesh. I believe that the evidence is overwhelming that he is who he claims to be, the son of the living God. But I cannot prove it scientifically. But I can prove it by the lives that he transforms every day. I can prove it because in my heart, I don't say, I think, I hope. I say, I know. And you know, there's another element in our lives that we don't think much about, and that's the element of faith. You think of the faith that you have to have every day. You have to have faith that your wife didn't put poison in your coffee this morning. You have to have faith in her. She might have felt like it, but she didn't. You have to have faith in the bank. When you write a check and sign it and you have money in the bank, you have to have faith that the bank's going to pay it. You have to have faith in the government. When you pull out a dollar bill, now I know it's shrinking, but you have faith that back of it is a dollar, that people will accept it as money. Everything we do is by faith. Now, for example, when I come up on a hill, and I live in the mountains of North Carolina, and we have a lot of hills, 
I don't stop my car before I get to the crest of the hill and get out and walk over and see if somebody's coming up the other side on the wrong side. I have faith to believe that the drivers are going to stay on their side. Faith, 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 everything. When you sat in that chair, had you ever sat in that chair before? I bet you didn't pick it up and examine it and put your hands on it to see if it would hold you. By faith, you just sat down in it. You had faith that people wouldn't build a chair that wouldn't hold you. Everything we do is by faith. All right, take the same faith. Put it in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you will know who Jesus is. You accept him by faith, and he comes into your life and into your heart, and you know that he's who he claims to be. On that Damascus road that I referred to a moment ago, the Apostle Paul said, Who art thou, Lord? And then Paul asked him another question. Paul said, What do you want me to do, Lord? And Jesus said, Arise and go. I'm asking you today to arise and come to him. Now some of you can ridicule. Some of you can reject him. Some can just put it off and say, I'm going to wait till another time. Or you can accept him as your Lord and your Savior and your Master and the Son of God. And he will come into your heart and forgive your sin and change your life. Jesus Christ, superstar. Judas, don't get me wrong. I only want to know, he said. And then the haunting chorus Jesus Christ, superstar, do you think you are what they say you are? Yes! And more, 10,000 times more than two men in England ever put in those lyrics is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And you are asked today to receive him. In fact, if you're going to go to heaven, the Bible teaches, you have to receive him. If you're going to have your sins forgiven, you have to receive him. And I'm going to ask you to do it today, and I'm going to ask you to do it publicly. How do you do it? I'm going to ask hundreds of you to get up out of your seat right now and come and stand in front of this platform quietly and reverently and say, I want Christ in my heart. I want him to forgive my sin. I want to know I'm going to heaven. I want him to change my life. I receive him as my Lord and Savior. If you're with friends or relatives or in a delegation, they'll wait. If you come in a bus, they'll wait. Why do I ask you to come forward? Because every person Jesus ever called in the New Testament, he called publicly. You come publicly and openly and declare yourself. You may be Protestant. You may be Catholic. You may be Jewish. You may be Orthodox. Or you may not have any religion. But God has spoken to you today and you know that you need Christ. You come and make sure right now we're going to wait. And I'm going to ask that no one leave the service, please, not at this holy moment. I know you want to go because of the crowd, but don't leave. Just get up and come right now, quickly, from everywhere, hundreds of you. We're going to wait. From all over the stadium, as God is speaking, you may be in the choir, and this may be your last moment with God. You may never have another hour like this. You come.
you that are watching by television, there are hundreds of people coming here at McCormick Place in Chicago to make their commitment to Jesus Christ, to accept him as their Lord, their Savior, as their Master, as the Son of the living God. I'm going to ask you to make that same commitment where you are at home. I'm praying that you'll make that decision. God help you to do it. And I hope that you'll go to church next Sunday. God bless you.
I can even set the stage for where I'm at, where I'm at in this moment in my life in these later years of high school is I have all these experiences as a young boy with you know, sexual abuse. And honestly, at that point in my life, I had never even thought about it that super intensely. I had a dysfunctional home where the normal attitude was anger. Parents got divorced. I was an athlete. I was addicted to drugs out of my own ambition, not just a physiological response to the drugs I was doing. I wanted something from them. I wanted them to satisfy me in some way, shape, or form. And so I'm this, this loner, druggie, who has all this baggage, but with a deep question in my heart, where can I be satisfied? A lot of things happened to me as a young boy that shaped and impacted how I view God, how I view people, how I view myself. And when I was five, uh, I was sexually abused by an older boy in the neighborhood. When I was eight, I was sexually abused by a babysitter. And I think those initial moments of my life led me to have a misunderstanding of reality and when someone takes from you like that as they you know did to me maybe they knew maybe they didn't know what they were doing when someone takes from you like that somehow you might end up being that person that takes one day and it's your natural gravity also my family life my family dynamics at home were not the best i love i honor or respect my parents massively they did a lot for me um, but they got divorced when I was 12, 13, pretty bad divorce. They did not like each other, and it was pretty obvious and evident that they did not like each other. And so as a young man, a lot of brokenness, most of my emotional baggage or even conversations, real, honest, raw conversations that you would have with family members and friends, all of that was centered around anger. And so I never had a context in which I lived without intense anger, both looking at people with anger or people talking to me or looking at me with this intense anger. And I remember I'd have these experiences with my, with my brother. I love my brother now. He's a, he's a close friend now. But we, I don't think growing up, ever had any emotionally joyful experience outside of an, uh, an event or something provided for us. If we were together, it was anger. If, it was, if we were together, it was competition. It was this, you know, violence with each other. And so I had a pretty dysfunctional uh, childhood in many ways, uh, shapes and forms. Um, I was an athlete, though, so I was able to mask it because sports was a good outlet that was provided to me so that I could, you know, emotionally connect with something else, take out my anger and my frustration somewhere else. But when I entered high school, uh, I was a short kid, probably about 5'1", 5 5 And so my ability in sports subsided, so I had to find another ad avenue. And for me, I was a very existential kid. And what I mean by that, I was always thinking deeply. I was always, why am I here? Why am I existing on this planet? And there was always this gaping, massive hole within inside my heart where I was longing to be satisfied. I always knew I was made for joy. I always knew I was made for some sort of happiness. I don't want to sound like some, you know, fluffy Christian, but I knew there was something of reality that was going to provide satisfaction for me and so when I was in high school I was the kid that was super against drugs I made fun of everybody for it that I knew was already doing it but my sophomore year of high school I began to smoke weed and that just led to me being 
sort of a fiend in many ways. I have a personality that is very uh, aggressive in the sense that if I'm doing something, I'm giving my full self to it. Like my whole being is invested into it. And so as I began to have these experiences with drugs from marijuana to pills to cocaine to go down the list, I probably did. As a matter of fact, there was a time that I got grounded because I got caught for some of the drugs I was doing. I got grounded and I would go to Walgreens and I would steal cough syrup. I would go anywhere I could possibly go to find some sort of uh, high, whether that be markers or cough syrup at the store, I would do it. I got chased out of a store by a clerk for thieving, (laughs) um, whatever you want to say, stealing. I would go down to the same Walgreens almost every time I got grounded, and I would do the exact same thing. So I I was really into it. And the whole desire was not just for a feeling, it was for satisfaction. I know that sounds cliche, but for me, it was this most real thing. Uh, After every high I ever did, every high, I thought it was going to provide for me something that was going to satisfy me completely. I was going to have some experience, some revelation of something that would transform me and bring me into reality that that would allow me to know I was living the purpose that I had been made for. And although I'd grown up in a Christian context, meaning, you know, I went to church every so often, heard all the Sunday school messages, I never personally connected that God would be the place, that Jesus Christ would be the place where I would find that satisfaction. And so after every high, um, after every uh, sexual experience I ever had as a high schooler, I would always say to myself, that's all it was, that's all this is. And it would lead me to go, okay, well, I got to go to the next thing then. Because it's got, it's got to be somewhere. And I remember uh, I would even ask myself, you know, because I had this kind of inner wrestle with what I was doing. I knew it was wrong, but I wanted to continue to justify it in some way, shape, or form. So throughout high school, you know, I'd be, I'd be sitting there, I'd be about to smoke or something like that. And I would, I would honestly, consciously ask God, God, I think this is okay. Are you okay with this? I think you are. And I, I don't know why, but this loud reverberating no would shout in my heart and in my mind. And I'm not saying God spoke to me in those moments, but there was something of that conviction from the Holy Spirit that even in those moments was proving himself to me. I would have experiences like that. And at the same time, I was also a bit of a loner. Um, And what I mean by that is not that I was bullied or We all have those types of experiences, obviously, but I kind of had friends that were more in the popular category, and then I also had friends that weren't. I had friends that were athletes, and I never fully fit in because I was always feeling like what I was doing was fake, that I was putting a mask on, and I certainly knew that everybody else I was around was putting on the mask. And so if I can even set the stage for where I'm, at, where I'm at in this moment in my life in these later years of high school is I have all these experiences as a young boy with, you know, sexual abuse. And honestly, at that point in my life, I had never even thought about it that super intensely. I had a dysfunctional home where the normal attitude was anger. Parents got divorced. Uh, I was an athlete. Um, I was addicted to drugs out of my own ambition, not just a physiological response to the drugs I was doing. I wanted something from them. I wanted them to 
satisfy me in some way, shape, or form. And so I'm this, this loner druggie who has all this baggage, but with a deep question in my heart, where can I be satisfied? Thankfully, my parents, although we didn't have the best relationship, decided that towards the end of my high school years that I had uh, I'd obviously been getting in a lot of trouble. You can't do this stuff for very long without getting in trouble with the law or with uh, you know people around you, your family members. And so my parents basically said, we're going to kick you out of the house or you can go do a uh, missions Christian training school called YWAM in New Zealand. And... I had no clue what a missionary was. As a matter of fact, I thought a missionary was someone who built houses on beaches for poor people. No clue why I thought that, but that's what I thought. And so my assumption was if I go and fake it after high school for six months, my parents are going to get off my back. I'm going to come back. I'm going to do exactly whatever I want to do. I had a girlfriend at the time. I had a job. I had all these things going for me. And the interesting thing is, for some reason in my heart, uh, I had a very weird sense that my life was about to be transformed after high school. Everybody, I wanted to be a Marine. I don't know why, I wanted to be a Marine. I loved the University of Florida. I wanted to go to the University of Florida. But as high school went on, all of those things put to the wayside. Well, everybody's excited about going to the university or going to do whatever they wanted to do. I was a blank canvas of a person. I had no ambition other than I have to know why I'm on this planet, and then I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do. And so in the midst of all of the chaos of my family wanting to kick me out of the house or send me this thing, I had some sense in which I knew my life was about to change after high school, and the Lord orchestrated miraculously a scenario for all of this to take place. I got fully funded to go to New Zealand, so I'm about to head there about three weeks before I'm supposed to head to this Christian program. I wasn't even a Christian, not even a context for what it truly meant to be a believer. I'm just going because New Zealand is where Lord of the Rings is filmed, and it's cool there, and I'm going to be, be able to go bungee jump and fake it. And July 4th night, July 5th morning, my friends and I are out, and we are doing delinquent-like activities. We are breaking into cars, breaking into garages. We're doing all sorts of stuff. Uh, we're stealing things. And, and I stole a phone at the time that was worth $500. And it's about 3 a.m. We're in a street. We're in a cul-de-sac. One-way street, no way out, no exits. And all of a sudden, no sirens, no lights, three cop cars roll up down this cul-de-sac. And I'm sitting there like, oh, my goodness. And this was a striking moment for me because oftentimes – and I think this is an allegory for salvation almost, is you don't realize how much danger you're actually in until you're in the situation. And then you want to be free. And I had never wanted to be more free than when I saw those cops get out of that car with tasers put up, hands on the dash. And I'm sitting in the back, car, back of a cop car three weeks before I'm supposed to go to this Christian program. Three weeks before I feel like my life is going to change in some way, shape, or form. And so the police are interrogating me, all this different stuff, and eventually they get to the bottom that I had stolen this phone. It was a felony charge at the time, $500, I guess, is a felony charge for stealing something. And so for some reason, I have no clue why this happened, other than 
uh, we had a minor with us that was that was with us at the time. Uh, they called the guy's parents, the, the minor's parents. They told him to come pick us up. Came picked us up. He happened to be my neighbor, and so he drops me off at my house. I don't tell my parents. And so three days go by. I'm thinking the cops, they told me they were going to come arrest me, um, detain me in about three days, and two weeks go by. Nothing happens. I think I'm scot-free. I'm on a date with my girlfriend, look at my phone at the end of the date, and I have about 75 missed calls from my parents, about 150 text messages. And so I know exactly what happened. I call them. They're yeah, they're going nuts, man. I didn't even tell them that I had gotten arrested. I didn't even want, I don't want to tell them. I'm just gonna play it, see what happens. And so, as this happens, the cop comes that night. My dad somehow convinces the police officer. He literally tells him these words: My son is going to a Christian program in New Zealand. It would be far better for him to be there than in a jail cell. Can you let him go to this, and he will turn himself in when he comes back? And I kid you not, the police officer said, sure. The police officer left, and I'm allowed to go to New Zealand. That didn't solve my problem of being arrested. That actually happened because, this is a little side note, my... Um, uh, the police officers were, tr that neighbor had been, had been robbed, and so the police officers were trying to see if I was, if we were the ones that were robbing the neighborhood. So they wanted to come and, and see my house, see if I had any different things going on. I think they assumed that I wasn't the, the people that was doing this. And so my mom's a firefighter, and she's friends with the pol one of the police officers that arrested me, and I found out three days before I leave for New Zealand, that the police officers had caught the men who were robbing that neighborhood continually and that they were not going to arrest me even when I came back. They were not going to detain me or press charges in any way, shape, or form, which shook me. And it shook me even more later when I actually became a believer and realized what God had done. And even a funny, funny little side note of it is the people that were robbing the neighborhood were classmates of mine. And so this idea that I know this sounds controversial maybe, but the idea that God would protect me, even at the cost of, you know, someone else being caught. I mean, that shocked me. If that didn't happen, then I'm probably not sitting here before you. I'm not a part of the ministry I'm a part of. And so I go to New Zealand. I'm there. I'm on the flight. I'm listening to my rap music. I'm listening to Odd Future. I'm, um, and by, by all means, right, you got to understand, I cuss like a sailor. I... Like I said, addicted to drugs. I have a girlfriend. I'm doing all this stuff with sexual experiences with her as well. And so I'm doing all this stuff. When I get to New Zealand the first night, a man sits me down. This is before the program even started. His name was Jordan Matheson. He sat me down, and he could tell I was not a believer. And so he sat me down, and he shared the gospel with me. And this isn't the profound encounter that I had. But in that moment, I went and got in my room got on my knees, and I said to Jesus, if you are who you say you are, I'll follow you. And for me, those words still ring so violently in my heart because I didn't have this experience where God came to me in my depression or my anxiety. He sent me halfway around the world to isolate me from my context that I was in just so he could have one man share the gospel with me and me say those words, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, I'll follow you. The day after, with no context for needing to break up with my old life, 
no idea that I need to get rid of all the sin in my life. I called my girlfriend. I said, hey, we're done. And she goes, I knew this would happen. And I go, thank you, prophet, and hung up. And I immediately stopped cussing. I don't know why I stopped cussing. I just did. It was my assumption. On top of that, I got rid of all my old music. I mean, it was, you know how there's this, you know, people debate, can I listen to this or listen to that? I didn't care. I had met Jesus. I, I hadn't even had an emotional experience with him yet. I just knew that he was Lord, that he was king, and he got to dominate my life now, not me. And so I got rid of all my music. I didn't have the debate about what's right, what's wrong. I got rid of concert t-shirts that I knew were attached to some of this stuff. It was almost immediate. And my addiction to pornography, although it wasn't an everyday thing, it was almost immediately cut off. I was just done. Once again, no one told me to put up a, a blocker on, on the websites on my, uh, on my internet browsers. It was just simply something had shifted in my heart. But here's where I had the experience with Jesus. I was reading my Bible, and once again, guys, I don't have Christianese language. I just am just reading the Bible with hunger in my heart for a new experience and for this new life that I had found. And I get to Psalm 1611, and it says, In his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And in that moment, it was like an earthquake in my heart, and light bulbs shot off in my head. And I had realized that the satisfaction I was looking for in every other thing was found in this man, Jesus Christ, and that he was not a rule book. And I mentioned this a little bit, but my context because of going to Sunday school and, and being around the church at certain p- points in my life is that Jesus was a, he was God and he was there. But my context was you go to church once a week, you pretend on that day to be a follower of Jesus and you don't do these five, five things, do these five things and you move on. I had no idea that it was about a personal experience and knowledge of someone. You know, you, you can know President Obama. You can know information about him. You can know information about an athlete. You can know information, but you don't know them. I knew information about Jesus. And in this moment, I had realized that my experience with him needed to be a tasting and a seeing. And then when I read that, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, this is an experience. You got to taste chocolate cake. You got to see the sunset in order to experience it. And so in this moment, I can't explain it any other way than I saw Jesus. I tasted Jesus and I realized that pleasure and satisfaction and this motivation that I had for those things was not ungodly, but it was the most godly thing. It was placed in a wrong way. It was placed in sex. It was placed in drugs. It was placed elsewhere when Jesus had made me for joy in him. And from that place, um, since I was a part of this now missions organization getting trained, I decided why not devote myself to the greatest thing, not only knowing Jesus, but calling other people to know him. And I remember in my, uh, uh, early years in New Zealand, I heard a story about a man named Count Zinzendorf, and he was a German guy, interesting name. He was a count, which means basically just he was wealthy and owned land, and he was back in the 1600s, 
as a young man, he went around to see all the famous art around Europe, and he got to one painting in a certain place, and the name of the painting was Ecce Homo. In Latin, it means behold the man. And in the painting, it's a, it's a painting of Jesus. You can look it up right now if you wanted to. It's a painting of Jesus. He's got a crown of thorns, blood running down his face. And at the bottom it says, this is what I've done for you. What will you do for me? And I was struck in that moment. And it's not that I knew I was going to be some preacher with a ministry like YWAM or Circuit Riders, but it was this idea that I, if Jesus went to the cross for me, how could I not give absolutely every fiber of my being to him? Uh, Leonard Ravenhill, a preacher, says this. He says, is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? And for me, I just knew in those early years of following Jesus that I couldn't play it safe, that I couldn't be comfortable. And those things were oftentimes the things that I saw other people around me pursuing and they were adding Jesus to their life. I don't want to add Jesus to my life. He had completely redirected me. And even before I go on to even talk about more about how I entered to, to ministry, I just have to say that I can't take claim to having any part of like my testimony. I don't know what, what it is. Sometimes I feel like with testimonies, you know, there can be some claim I have on it. I, I have no claim. I, I was arrested three weeks before I became a Christian. God pulled me out of that situation miraculously. Other people got arrested in my place. What a gospel story that is. I went to New Zealand. I don't know how I ended up in New Zealand of all places. I had the perfect experience with the most amazing leaders there. I can't have any claim on this. And so even my walking into ministry isn't something that I claim to make some amazing decision and to start to pursue Jesus in ministry and the preaching of the gospel and, and ministering to a young generation of university students and high school students, I feel like it's all a sovereign act of, of grace for Jesus to place me where I am. And so I'm with Circuit Riders now, which is a ministry based in Huntington Beach, California, reaching university students and high schools. And our whole goal is to call the generation to know Jesus, number one, but to partake in the Great Commission and that you get one life, and I get one life, and we all get one life, and so use it to the utmost for Jesus Christ and His glory. So, it's my story. Now, Derek, I want to I want to take it back really quick, just a little bit. Of course. Um, when you came back from New Zealand, you left one way, share. yeah, and you came a whole different way. Talk to me about your reaction of your parents, your your friends. Like, what did that look like when you came back? You, you wanted to get controversial here. It's funny, you know, a lot of the reaction of people when I decided that I was going to become minister or a missionary or whatever you want to say um, was interesting because the reaction was actually the opposite of what I would have expected. I mean, I was this drug addict, and but the, now a lot of people around me were basically, you're not going to have a nice 401k, your bank account's not going to be big, what about your future kids, you know, you can't go to that place, you can't do this, it's not safe, and honestly, a lot of the reaction was worse than me being a drug addict, and so when I came back, it was definitely a journey. You remember how I said my context of my relationship with my family was mostly centered around uh, anger 
and the emotion of anger, that didn't change. And I was definitely not perfect when I came back. I actually only spent three months uh, in Virginia Beach where I grew up back home before I joined Circuit Riders and moved to California. And so one of the interesting things was I was always trying to preach the gospel to my family. And, and I was always trying, this is the true gospel. This is what the, the scripture is really about. It's about knowing God and having this experience. And I did not do it right. I was way too intense at times saying things I shouldn't have said. I actually had an experience where I got into it with a friend. And this friend ended up punching me in the face, literally punched me square in the face and then took the drink I had in my hand and chucked it out the window of a car. And we just kept going, having this conversation um, and getting into it. And so it was an interesting reaction. Um, But what I'll say is this, is that most of the people that I was around in that season are now following the Lord. And in some way, shape or form, it's because of some of those conversations that we had. And so the Lord redirected my life from New Zealand to America specifically because of his sovereign ways. I mean, once again, I don't have any claim to, I decided to be in circuit riders. I decided to move to California. I actually wanted to go back to New Zealand. And the base I was at, the missions base I was at, was going to you know, train me to plant bases in the Middle East and all these different things. And I was excited to go back and lead and all this different stuff. And But then the New Zealand government, sent my visa back and said, uh, you need more ministry experience. In my ministry experience, I needed to work for a church or for another missions organization or whatever. And so they, uh, my mission, my, my leaders in New Zealand sent me to circuit riders where I met my wife. And so God used a girl to keep me in America and uh, work with circuit riders. And so that's how I ended up where I am now. Now, Derek, for people watching your testimony right now who want to do missionary work, who have a hunger to go out to the nations and are ready to go, and, and maybe they don't know you know, what step to take, and they're seeing circuit riders, and they're like, man, I want to be a part of this. I, I just want to go. What can you say to those, to those people, no matter what their age is? Like, what can you say to those watching right now your testimony? Most important thing that you have to realize when you're deciding what to do with your life and if you're interested in missions or being involved in ministry is the Great Commission, the final words of Jesus Christ are binding on us and are binding on the church of today, which is to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, and preach the gospel. And so you're first off, before you decide on, on whatever you want to do and whatever step you want to take, you have to ask yourself, am I extremely passionate about this? Passion is the most important thing in our generation, and, and your passion has to sustain itself in the God-given vision given in scriptures, given in Matthew 28, go into all the world. You can be passionate about a burrito one day. You can be passionate about your football team one day. You can be passionate about missions one day, but does your passion continue? That's the first thing. The next step is get around people that you want to be like. Get around a ministry that inspires you to missions uh, or to ministry. Get around a furnace of people and catch fire with them. 
and move in that direction that they're moving into. If you isolate yourself and have these dreams and this vision and this goal, it'll never come to be because oftentimes God will bring people into your life to catapult you forward into your calling and into the destiny that God has for you. So those are my two things. You've got to be passionate about it. It's got to be sustained. And you've got to be around a furnace of people that are going in the direction that you want to go. Derek, who is Jesus to you? Jesus, to me, and I think to all of us in some way, shape, or form, is the one who knows me. And that's the most profound thing I think you can find in all the scriptures, is that when God walks into the garden and he doesn't say to Adam, Eve, did you break my law? Did you break my covenant? Did you break this? What did you do? How are you so stupid? Why are you this way? He says to them, where are you? Which is a fascinating question, which means he was looking for them. He was searching for them, and they were hiding. And so I was hiding my whole life, and Jesus knew me. He saw me, and he picked me. And Jesus is the, the, the one who knows me. And I don't think there's anything more profound than to be known by God and to be desired by God and to be picked by God. So he's the one who knows me. Any last words for people who are watching your testimony right now? I think most of us could relate to this idea that we're longing to be satisfied. We're longing to find joy. And that's not ungodly. It's actually the most godly thing. It's that oftentimes we misplace it and we misplace it into areas of sin. Pick one. You can go anywhere with it. And so I believe that if you're watching this and you don't know Jesus or you don't know how to articulate your testimony or what God's done in your life, it probably in some way, shape, shape or form starts with you being unsatisfied in the world and God coming and wanting to satisfy you through His Son, Jesus Christ, by giving you a relationship with Him that's experiential and filled with truth and a dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit and His love and every attribute that God has, you get to experience in this relationship. And so He wants to satisfy you with the truth of who His Son is, Jesus.
spreading the love worldwide. www.jesusinthemorningradio.com Hallelujah, hallelujah, Apostle Pinkney there, you fight on. Keep your sword in your hand and you fight on. It teaches us in the word to put on the whole armor of God that we'll be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. But we got to put his word. We got to get in his word and allow his word to get in us. And in order for the word to work, you must apply it to your everyday life. And once you get accustomed to doing that, you, you get in the habit of it. If you don't read that word, if you don't have a scripture for the day, you feel out of place. I don't care where you're going, what you're doing. Uh, uh, ladies can be home cleaning and getting ready for work or making breakfast or whatever. Men too. And it just hit, oh, I didn't read my scripture this morning. Oh, let me run and do that. They'll stop everything. Go get that scripture for the day. And then the day can continue. Yeah, it, it, perfect practice make perfect. If you practice that thing and you continue to do it, and what you read for the day, you're going to walk in that scripture. You're going to tell plenty of people, as many people as you can, about that one scripture. Guess what it's going to do for you, too? It's going to help you to remember where the scripture was and what it said. Yes, yes, I've done it many times. This morning we heard uh, a Billy Graham. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Then we heard a testimony of a young man that nothing could satisfy him until he found God. Hallelujah. Nothing could satisfy him until he found Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And listen, I want to apologize for yesterday. Um, Sister Jerry and I, and uh, sometimes I know it appears to be out of the norm. And some people may see it as that's not God. They plan. Let me tell you something. If ever I was serious about something, <laughs> it is almighty God, Jesus. It is his work. It is what I think of him, say about him, do concerning him. Yeah, I, I'm serious. And he will move for you if you believe. But sometimes God used things in a way, and I call it spiritual therapy. Everybody can see the problem, but nobody will come and say, well, hey, I'll help you with that. You know what? I see Sister Jerry got a problem. Let me encourage her. Let me inspire her. People won't do that. But they will complain. I don't want to hear that. That ain't God. All kind, I, I've seen people log off. <laughs> ah! Log off, not praying. Log off or complain. I'm raising my right hand because I'm guilty of it. You should be praying, not not not, you know, finding fault, Barbara. You 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 helping. Yeah, I've done it many times. Because in this hour we got to focus. In this hour we got to get it right with God. Again, this morning, I love some laughter. Oh, you don't understand how I love laughter. And how I like talking with people who love laughter, too. And it can make me laugh. And they get tickled over it. The least little thing. It's nothing big. We're not picking on anyone, per se. Uh, 
there may be some names in there, but it's nothing against the person. It's just the way that the person behaves. And, 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 and it's not basically behind their back, you know, to other people to make them look bad. But what they did or what they said, it was a funny thing. Yeah. My friend Thelma, it tickles her <laughs> when I say, uh-huh. When I say, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Oh, that tickles her. Other things I say, oh, it have her rolling. But I'm serious. I've had people tell me that that was so funny that you said, but you know what, Barbara, that is so true. Yeah. But we got to learn in this hour, we don't watch anything, we don't listen to any and every old thing, and we don't let things get in our spirit. The scriptures say, guard your heart. But what we do is when we see something out of the norm of the spirit that we feel this is not the spirit, we begin to pray. We begin to bind up. You can rebuke and bind up and then ask God to rebuke it for his sake. Rebuke it for my sake, Lord. I don't, I don't want this to enter me. I don't want to have no problems with this. I'm serious about you. But Lord, that person needs help. Help them, God. Pray, pray, pray. Because if not, we're going to find ourselves in error, and God will be able to point at us. And let me tell y'all something. The devil will tell on you right now. Think it's a game. He would show God you, right? Didn't you tell Barbara no more gossiping? She gossiping again. Yeah, the devil is something serious. Look where Barbara going. She she going down there where the trap at? Ain't no people down there today. What's she going down there around the trap for? He will tell on you. Didn't you tell uh, Cindy not to say that to, to her husband no more? She said it again. You 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 told Claude to straighten his son out. And don't fall weak to his son no more. Well, he back weak. He back taken up for his son, even at the school. See, because if you got the spirit of God in you, he will warn you. He will tell you what to do and what not to do. He will bring things to your remembrance. And guess what the spirit of God will do? He will give you the scripture to back it up. He will give you the word of God to back it up. I'm a living witness. I'm not telling you what they told me. The preacher, the pastor, the Sunday school teacher, I'm telling you from experience what has happened for me. There have been days, because God knew my heart back in the day. He knew the very intent of my heart back then like he does today. And my problem was men and money. I'm, I'm honest. I'm just serious. Men and money was my problem. And even after he delivered me, he brought me out. I was no longer in bondage uh, to the threat of men, I'm going to call it. Because when I see them, I do a double take. Now, if I found out they was married, I ran. But if they were single, if they had a woman in their life they was dealing with, I ran. If I found that out. But if he was single, I do a double take. I'm going to ask some questions. 
and the Lord brought it to my attention. This is plain and simple. You can't flirt either, Barbara. That's flirting. That will lead to other things. Don't let fornication be once named among you. Don't let your name come up on fornication. You see, spirit that lives in you, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, it will bring things to your remember. It, remember, it will allow you to know right when you're about to error. Hey, don't do that because if you do, you're sinning, Barbara. That, that, that right there is a transgression. Because the, 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 it, it's not always the enemy now. Sometimes it's your flesh talking to you. Hey, hey Barbara, if you, if you go over there and, you know, just have a cup of coffee with John, you know, he don't tell nobody. He don't tell nobody about y'all conversation. He don't tell no What? That's flirting. That can't be. Because after a while, that'll lead to fornication, Barbara, because you're not going to marry John. You see who he is. And if you commit fornication, Barbara, you're not only sinning against God, but you're sinning against your own body. So now when all these things show up in you, don't, don't be alarmed. Yeah. Even being overweight. Watch yourself, Barbara. Yeah. Hallelujah. God is faithful this morning. He's looking for some faithful people. He's looking for people that will take self-inventory. He's looking for people that can hear from him and obey. That's the Holy Spirit when it speaks to you. Don't suppress it. Oh, no, that's me thinking that. No, no, no. Was it true what he said? Was it a godly word that was spoken to you in your spirit? Was it the right thing spoken to you in your spirit? Now, that wasn't you. That was God speaking to you to keep you from making a bad mistake, which is sin. Sin separates man from God. I don't care how long you've been in the way, how long you've been running this race, how long you had your journey. It don't matter. If you commit sin, it separates you from God. He said we belong to him when we obey him. So who is Jesus in your life and what was not satisfying to you? What, what did you keep doing until you met Jesus? I continued about that money. I got to be careful even today. I can, boy, look here. I continued about that money. I thought money actually really made the world go round. <clears throat> and I found out it was God that makes it go round. It wasn't money. I thought money could do anything. If they come and told me a rich person died, I'd say, why? They had all that money. What? Stupid. Dummy. Money don't, it don't cure every disease. It don't cure every sickness. It don't cure every pain. Money can help make it comfortable, but it cannot cure it. You got diabetes, and they said they're cutting your feet off. Because you got money, so you eating gourmet, you eating the best of the West, you eating the best in the land, and you won't stop. 
You're surrounded by tubs of ice cream. Real homemade cakes from scratch. And you having that kind of thing going. Whenever you're getting ready, you're just gaining weight. You're not trying to manage the weight. You're rich, though. And they come and they diagnose you with diabetes. And you got to take the insulin, the shots. And one day you stub your toe, you injured your toe, you hit it on something, and the toe never healed. And you went to the doctor, you kept it clean, you even had the nurse to come into your house daily because you're rich, and dress your toe. Clean your toe, sanitize it, wrap it, but the toe refused to heal. All of that, and the toe sets gangrene, and it come on up. Saying they got, you know, they got to cut that leg off. You feel the rich, and your leg got to be cut off. Money don't do it for everything. It answers all things, but it don't heal and fix everything. Yeah. So look, we want to be careful, and we want to focus more. And for some people, it, it, it's hard to focus because of where they've been, what they've been through, what they're accustomed to. And this is comfortable over here. But what you got to do is find a way. Do you know when I first come to the Lord and I stepped out in faith and everything, and I really wanted to remember the scriptures, I used to, everybody I ran into, I tried to get an opportunity to tell them where the scripture was and what the scripture said. And that helped me again to remember the scripture for myself. But I found myself doing different things. I would put uh, a ring on my left hand, and I mean on my right hand, and I would put it on my little finger And today, and that would help me to remember a certain scripture or a certain chapter and what half of it was about. Or I would take that ring and put it on the ring finger on the right hand and still that would tell me the day you got to remember this. If I wasn't going out in the public and I wasn't really going to see nobody face to face, but even over the phone, I've done it with the phone representative. I've done it with the electric company representative, the insurance representative. Anybody I talked to on the phone, I would ask them, have you ever heard of this before? And I'm talking in everyday language, but it's scripture. And they say, no. I said, well, I found this over in Mark, whatever, Mark chapter 5, verse 3, whatever it was, and I would quote it to them word for word like it said in the scripture. And there was some time they would be a Christian. They'd be like, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to look at that today for myself. See, not only did I get to remember the scripture, but I got to share it and somebody else was interested in it. But we got to, we got to, Stir up the gifts in us. We 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 gotta stay excited. We gotta stay on fire. I don't care what's going on. I was homeless. May as well say hungry. Homeless, hungry. <laughs> and walking up and down the street, I'm talking about so excited and on fire. You thought I lived in the house on the hill with the dog named Fluffy, and I had just parked my Bentley a block away. Just because I was homeless and and hungry, it didn't stop me from knowing who Jesus was. These was my trials I had to go through. And and, and when I when Jesus was in the wilderness, he had to go through. 
when he was in the garden praying that the cup be passed from him, he asked them to stand with him, but nobody stood. They went to sleep. So he had to do this alone, and so did I. But he always blessed me with a car. Always blessed me that I didn't have to be out under the stars unprotected with no kind of protection. At least inside a car, you protected from the wind and the rain and the sun and the cold. Yeah. Because he know how much we can bear. He know what we can go through. Certain things he didn't allow to happen to me because I couldn't take it. Yeah. Because he know you. He know what you can bear, what you can't bear. He know what you can do and what you can't do. He already knows. He made you for his pleasure. He know all about you. That's how big he is. Each one of us, isn't that wonderful? Me and you may have a disagreement because you don't understand what I said. But he and I, we won't have a disagreement over that because he understood. He knew exactly what I was talking about. I know you heard people say, nobody but you, Lord. Because nobody but you understand what I mean and, and, and what I'm saying, Lord. Woo. Hey, glory, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Listen, intercessors today, I'm going to ask y'all to pray for Rose Brown. Keep her lifted in prayer. Yeah. We praying that God would do what needs to be done in her life completely, all of it. Not just healing, but everything she needs done because he a supplier and he's able to supply for her. Yeah. I thank God. I thank God. Because many times we get older uh, and we let things go. We let the world go completely. We really don't want to be bothered. Uh, I'm enjoying my own company because I am my best friend. Now that I am. And I love being with me. Ooh, I love spending time with just Barbara. But we can't just do that. We got to go out and we got to do some work somewhere, do something. If it's no more than carrying some food to somebody, um, it may be, you know, uh, food from the grocery store, groceries, or you may go to a fast food place and pick up something and take it to somebody, or you cook something and took it. We got to do something for somebody else. The harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. I know we want to work in the church where everybody can see it. But guess what? It's more important to work outside that building because those that come in the building, they're supposed to learn about him. They're supposed to learn about Jesus. But these that are out here in the streets, they're not before a preacher. So if he called you, you should be out and about doing something on his behalf. Talking of his wondrous works, making known his deeds among the people. Again, you may go and carry somebody something to eat because a lot of times people don't have food. Yeah, right here in America. You may see somebody that's in dire strait, they're in dire need of an outfit. And you say, you know, I got the perfect outfit for them. That will fit them good. I know we like to give to friends and families, people we know. We like to make them happy. 
but they are strangers, and we have things that will make strangers happy, and it will please God. And we need to work while this day night is coming. And when night comes, no man can see. I like to tell everything, and I know y'all think I tell all things. I don't tell it all. I, I tell a lot of things because I want you to know what God is, who he is, what he has done, what he's doing right now, and what he will do for you. I want my nails appeared to not to grow. All my life, ever since I was a girl, young teenager, I had long nails whenever I got ready. Cut them when I got ready. I just cut them yesterday. But I had super long nails if I wanted them to. They grow naturally. But all of a sudden it appeared my nails wasn't going to grow some vitamin or something I'm not taking. I prayed and let it go. And it just come up in my spirit strong, eat vegetables. Because all I used to do is put a little bar soap under my nails and let the bar soap sit under there for a few minutes and then clean it and rinse it from under there. It make the nail mine. It make mine hard and it make them grow. Don't ask me why. And I supplement, you know, dish detergent, palmolive, and water. And when the nails get soft, you know, all around the, cub- the cuticle, I push them back. And the nails grow. I don't hurt it now. But they have to be wet and all the damp so that the, the cuticle won't. Uh, but look, he blessed me with all of that. I'm telling you that this morning because the smallest thing, the very smallest thing that concerns you, it concerns God. And we're still talking about go tell it all. Well, where are we going, Barbara? Out into the hedges and highways. We're going out there to talk. I know you're a pew sitter. I, I don't have a calling. You do have a calling. You just don't know what it is. The first call was he called, if you saved, he called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. And some people appear, I'll do anything for Jesus, anything. Well, he told you what you could do, but you you, you don't pay that no attention. He told you there are things you can do, but all y'all want to do is meet together and gather with those you know. There's so many strangers that need you. There's so many elderly people that's lonely. There are so many people that you could really help, but they don't look like you, they don't sound like you, they don't smell like you, you don't want to be bothered. You want everything to be happy, and you want to impress people, and you want people to say good things about, oh, she's always looking good, her hair is always intact, oh, girl, did you see that outfit she had on, got all of that going on. Going to church, but your heart raggedy like a mango seed. Oh, yes, it is. Because if you got time for all of that, you don't have time to work unto the Lord. Now, you'll go clock in when you can get that paycheck, of course. We have to pay bills and things. But you're not going to clock in with God and do nothing for him. Yeah. That's the way it is. But, and then another thing I want to tap on this, and then we're going to get out early, hopefully, this morning. I have an appointment. Listen, when we lead people to the Lord, we got to make sure we tell them, listen, 
You got to have a prayer life and a Bible study life because after this, you're not prone from trouble now. You're not prone from that. The enemy come to steal, kill, and destroy. And now that he has lost you forever, he wants to punish you. So he's coming with different kind of attacks. And I can't tell you exactly where the attacks are coming from. I can't tell you that. But I can tell you things will change. And some things drastically and quickly and before you get home, some foolishness will take place. But know this, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will be with you until the end because you're his now and he's yours. He's got all power and he's able, but you have to trust him in the midst of the attacks. You have to trust him while all of these things are going on. And it's not because you did anything wrong, but you must learn. And unless you're taught, you can't be learned. You can't learn. So these are trials that will teach you about the ways of God and the ways of the enemy. So we go and we tell it all. See, that's telling it all. That's not just telling them he is a savior. Oh, he paid my bills. Oh, he lift me up. Oh, he keep is more than that. I told you, you got to watch out now because attacks are coming. And we put on that whole armor of God so we can stand. We put on the word of God. We, we, we put it on. We put it in us. We remember. We practice it. We, we put it into action. We apply it because we must stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, that's not Barbara. That, that, that's not Barbara. I wasn't even there when God inspired man to write it this morning. But again, I believe it and I know it to be the truth. It happened to me. And when we begin to pray for some things, that's what's coming the most. Pray for love and see don't your enemies show up. Pray for love and see don't those who hate you show up. But you stand your ground here. Because he's right there with you. You got the word. You got what cut the devil short. You got what make him run, the word of God. He'll fear and tremble. Because that word holds true. Yeah. So we got to tell it all. And we need to start telling it more. I can never tell it enough. The goodness of the Lord. <laughs> I can't talk about him enough. He's my all in all. He's what makes me kick these days. He, because of him, I'm alive. Because of him, I can face tomorrow. Whatever comes tomorrow, I can face it. I can face whatever comes today because he lives. And he don't just live, but he lives in me. I'm his and he's mine. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to tell him thank you. If we're trusting, I don't think we got the solution or the answer. If we know how to work it out, we're going to figure it out. No, 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 no. We're going to trust it with our whole heart. That's all of it. And lean not to our own understanding. And all our ways are going to acknowledge him. We're going to keep praying and telling him about it. Become the good news. And he shall direct that path. He'll direct your path. Yeah, look, you're about to go down G Street and he'll say, hold up. No, no, Bob. Don't, don't, don't go down G Street. I tell you what, just keep straight. Don't turn at all. Hey, glory. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hey, thank you. Thank you. 
Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Hallelujah. Glory to you, his majesty. Oh, thank you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Mm. Don't turn at all, Barbara. Just keep straight. And as I'm going on down a little bit further, I get a little bit further. I get a little. I said, well, it's going to dead end. He said, that's where the blessing at. Right there where it dead ends. Huh? Come on now. I've gotten in places and they was doing things I had no clue that would take place that day. I didn't sign up for it. I didn't put my name on the list. But they, because I found it, they allowed me to be a part of it. And they said, not enough people came. We didn't have time to really advertise it, but we got plenty. I can go in there and I can get for other people. I'm good. He takes good care of me and I'm good. And many times I have to get stuff out the freezer because I don't want it to get old. I go ahead and give it away fresh. Because and, and this is another thing. Because you give, he will cause giving to come your way. He will give to you. He will even put you on somebody's heart. He will put you on somebody's mind who think of you. I've had it to happen. Hey, Barbara, I've got this and that, and I thought of you. Can you use this? Always. I, I had my godson out of Texas. I was trying to get money to help somebody, and I said, hey, can you send me $20? He said, yeah. Yeah, she's doing it right now. I, I'm going to get my friend to cash out because I'm, I'm working. I, I can't do it, so she's going to do it right now. Because while you was talking to me, I was talking to her. I don't know what, what my mama going to need, but whatever it is, get ready for it here, and I'm going to just tell you, and you just do it. So after he sent me the $20, he said, well, what's going on? What, what What's wrong? I said nothing. I was trying to get $20 for to help somebody else. He said, oh, my goodness. He said, woman, my heart went to beating fast. I'm like, what's going on? $20? What what, what, what she need? What, what don't she have? Because, see, they don't know me like that. They know me that God supplied for me. But sometimes he allow other people to do for me so that they can be blessed. But people don't see that. They, they, they don't see that if you plant seed in good ground, you're going to reap a good harvest. They, they don't. Especially if it don't come up right away. If they plant it at 1 o'clock, if it don't come up by two minutes after 1, they assume they didn't plant in good soil. But he loves a cheerful giver. I want you to remember this. He loves a cheerful giver. If any kind of problems you have, and you want God to solve quick, you want God to move, plant a seed and just be so happy by planting that you don't know what to do. And you can go ahead and assign the seed. You plant it and tell it what you want to do and just stay excited. Sometimes you're going to forget you even planted it. And when that thing come up, you'll be like, uh. I forgot I did that. I'm guilty because I don't write everything down. I, 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 I did plant it, something, forgot I planted it. Here it comes. I, I can remember double tithing. 
and forgot I double tied. And boy, in a, in a, in a week or so, I see what I did. Like, my goodness. He loves a cheerful giver, but we don't believe that. We think if we give, we're going to go short. But when you give out of your need, that's when he meet me. Huh? Oh, Barbara, tell him this morning. When you give out of what you need, that's when he meets the need. When I pray for others for what I need, I need this so I'm praying for others that need the same thing. He moves. That's giving cheerfully. Lord, I want you to do it for them. I can wait. But Lord, move quickly if it be your will for them. In the name of Jesus. And he come in and he starts to move. He starts to move. Yeah. And it's all right today. In Jesus' name. I'm grateful unto him this morning. I appreciate him. There's none like him. I love him today. And I often remember it was him that first loved me. They, they sang a song that said, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I never would have known love had it not been for him. Billy Graham talked about it this morning. The angels were waiting to, to, to just do whatever Jesus needed him to do. But had they come and destroyed us all, we wouldn't be here now. We wouldn't have this right to the tree of life. We wouldn't be here now to praise and worship. We wouldn't be here to talk of his wondrous works and make known his deeds among the people. We wouldn't be here to help one another. We wouldn't be here to love one another. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I go back to many different things. I remember uh, when I first met Minister Shonda. Boy, she was so excited. She didn't know it. Evangelist, I want this for you, and I'm praying for that because of this. He lives. I had a lady who come and spoke the blessings of God all through my house. I want you to hear me this morning. I lived in the project. I was over in Hilltop when this happened. She went from room to room in my house speaking the blessings of Almighty God upon me. She come back to the living room and she just cried out to the Lord that God you would bless this woman. Meant every word she said. I was a candy lady, but I was a bit more than the candy lady in Hilltop. I was your spiritual doctor and a number of things. I baked and I cooked. And not many women out there could do what I do when it came to that baking and cooking. So, and then, the, you know, the love, genuine love in my heart for people, not many had that like that. You know, the streets teach you different. The streets teach you to get over on lame people. They call them lame, yeah. Get over on them. Because they're not thinking and calculating as fast as you are, but you're setting yourself up for failure. That's what you're doing. But anyway, because of these things, and the children used to come to the door, and I showed love. I had little buddies, three and four years old, would come to the door, and they, they may have two pennies. They found two pennies on the ground, 
And boy, they was coming to the candy lady to get them something good. And I said, what you want? Two cookies? I didn't have no penny cookies. I said, that's all you want, two cookies? How many cookies can I get? But I give them five. Boy, they go, oh, and they tell their other little buddies, the candy lady give me five cookies for two pennies. You know, word spread with little babies. But let me tell you something. The woman came and spoke all these blessings in my house. And that's what God did. But he went beyond what she spoke. And look, ooh, those were the days. That was my assignment to be in that project. I cannot be honest. Some days I hate I left. <laughs> I love it. One of my spiritual thoughts said, Mother, I think we crazy if we tell people in the project. Mother, I think we some fools. But listen, this woman was selling some things, too, a little bit different from what I sold. Because like I said, nobody had it like I had it. And I took all the money from, it, it was more candy ladies than just me. And I took all the money. Uh, people stopped going to the other candy ladies and brought all they, well, came and bought all I had. I had to increase my stock in my place. And the money went to helping the children on Wednesdays and Thursdays. And some Saturdays we went on field trips. I took children to school. They say they missed the school bus. I remember one day these three brothers, all three of them missed the school bus. They all three went to the same high school. And the older one came and knocked on the door, and he was scared. And I saw it. I said, oh, they didn't miss that bus. They thought if they call their mama and tell their mama they missed the bus, they'd get to stay home, you know, stay home today if they missed the bus, the school bus. So one knocked on the door because she told him, go around there and tell Miss Mack, you missed that bus. And he came around there and knocked on the door a little nervous. Miss Mack, I said, yeah, we missed the school bus. And mama, mama wanted us to come right here and ask you, can you drop us off o -o over there to Reebok? I said, yes, sir, I can. Stopped everything. Yeah, turn my pots on my stove off, let's go. <laughs> the other two was kind of hiding to the side. I said, let's go, y'all. Their eyes got a little big because they really didn't want to go. Oh, I forgot something. I said, what you forgot? I see you with your backpack. I said, boy, you want to get that after school. Let's go. They get in the car. We head on to the school. You ain't got to put us off at the door. I said, that's why I'm going to put you off at it. I want to see that you go through the door so I can tell your mama, I took you to school and you went into school. Now, what you do after that, that's on you. But I'm taking you to the school and watch you go inside. I said, because you don't want me to walk in there. No, no, we don't want you to <laughs> We don't want you to walk us there. Okay, then we'll get out and get on in there. And that's what they did. Because, see, they had to go right by the principal's office, the guidance counselor. They had to go by all of that to get to class going through that way. So if you had tried to head back out that door, they want to know where you're going and why. So you had to get on the class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, uh, many different 
ministries, <laughs> many different types of work. It wasn't always the same thing. Exciting work, never a dull moment, never a dull moment. See, because you learn, I took one to school, he went through the school, on through a side door, on somewhere, I don't know where he went after that, but he didn't go to class. So you see, I got to learn some things. I'm going to drop you off at the front door where everything and everybody can see it. Who you got to give an account to. So I know you're not coming back out the door like that. They saw me drop you off and I'm pulling off. So they know you're supposed to be in there and not out of there. Yeah. So many different things. Many different things. And I was big on the school. Children going to school and um, I got some people to come out who could help with homework after school and if they came up with a homework after school time they got there I gave them a nice snack and they got to eat a good snack and then right into your homework program you know to help the tutor and sometimes I found teenagers in high school who made good grades and I offered them something to come teach these younger kids but I had to be right there and watch everything you know, there wasn't a room full of children, so, you know. And then every now and then a parent would say, well, I'll come up there um, tomorrow with you, Miss Mack, and help you watch. I appreciate it. Because I couldn't have nobody going home that, you know, had been there and said something happened to them that would have destroyed me. So we watched as well as prayed. Oh, I, I, I could tell you, I could tell you some things he used me in the project to do. I remember this lady had set her house on fire, burned it up good. And the fireman come and put the fire and everything, and everybody was running, and she was going through it, crying. And they go, throw me out, I done burned the house up, da 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 And I went around the corner. When I saw who it was, I knew her mother and her aunt. So I just sat on the back wall right there behind my house, and she lived behind me upstairs. And she saw me. Boy, here she come. They're going to throw me out, Miss Mack. I done burnt the apartment up. Miss Mack, I don't have no way for me and my children to go. I said, hold up, hold up. Who's throwing you out? I said, just calm down. Sit down right here. Just sit down right here. I said, just stop crying. I got this right here. Just, just, just calm down. In a few minutes, the manager was coming. What's going on, Miss Mack? I said, well, she done left a pot on the stove and forgot it and the house caught a fire. I said, burn up them and uh, it's real smutty. So the fireman came down and talked to her, but she sold the straw. They talked to me. So I could relate to her what they said. So I told the manager, I said, and she's so scared y'all gonna throw her out of here. She said, we're not gonna throw her out. She said, but Miss Mack, she going to pay for this. I said, okay. She was like, I'll pay for it, Miss Mack. I'll pay for it. I said, I know you will. If you stay on in there, you're going to pay for it. You're not going to burn these people's stuff up and think you're going to walk away. They got to pay to have that redone. And um, well, Miss Mack, now the manager right there, where am I going to go while they doing my house over? The manager say in another unit. And when they get through with your unit, you can move back in it. And the manager and I, we sat there and laughed and talked a little bit, and she went on back to do what she had to do in the office. 
The girl looked at me squeezing and hugging on me. Oh, thank you. God sent you for me today, Miss Matt. Whatever. Get right with him. Get, he's showing you today what he can do for you. Now, cut the weed smoking and all that out and the people in your house. Cut all that foolishness out. He's trying to show you something today. I'm your heavy load bearer. I'm your burden shower. I'm whatever you need me to be, but you got to allow me to be it. I can't just be it to any kind of any old way to any old thing. So come on and do what I accept and what pleases me. That brought me to this right here. We must learn to accept what God allows. We are so better off anyway if we accept what he allows. See it as a trial and stand on his word. And after standing, stand on the word some more. Because we're standing on that solid foundation. It won't cave in, break in. Uh, you can't grind it up. You can't beat it up. It, it's not going nowhere. It'll stand forever, his word. So we all must learn to stand on that word. That's what I'm standing on today. He showed me when I took self-inventory, you gossiping. And then he showed me where this is not what to talk about. And then he showed me the person that aggravated me. Oh, y'all have no clue, but he showed me that, and then he told pray for them. Pray for them. I, I, I remain to treat them kind because, you know, I got to love them, and I got to treat them good. But he said pray for them. That way he can fix it. He can fix what's in them. They say they had him, but the actions show much different. You want folks to pray for you, but you're not going to pray for no I said, well, okay, Lord, you, that's what you say do. That's what I got to do. Now, listen, I didn't want to. I'm honest. I wanted to throw them as far as the east is from the west on the way from me. <laughs> he went to that. And they, 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 they should have been calling me demise. Is a terrible thing to waste. I called them to check on them. They said, oh, I was going to call you today anyway. Really? And I really didn't give them a chance to say too much. I told them what it was, and I was through off the phone. Because I, I, I didn't, he already done warned me. Now, I went to him about self-inventory, and he showed me. So I, I didn't want to go back and do that thing over again, you know. When it come around this time, I didn't want it to find me in the same place, in a sinful place, in a disobedient place with God. So I didn't even allow him to talk very much. I said what I had to say and hung, hung it up. My nasty now. I wasn't, I wasn't evil or dirty or nothing like that to them. No, no way. Good morning, my 708. God bless you this morning. I see my area code down there. <laughs> my 708 area code. Yeah. Good morning to you, Brother Anthony. Good morning to you, my goddaughter, my baby, Sister Laura. God bless you, honey bunny. Good morning to you, Minister Shonda. Good morning to you, Pastor David. Yeah, uh, Pastor David, I can't after the show today, but I can this evening because I have to run to a, an appointment. I got to be there at 1120, and I'm hoping to be out of there no later than 12. 
But anytime, probably after one, I should be back. I uh, can't do it then. I got two pound cakes I got to bake and get to the people this evening. So it'll have to be after five, you know, before I can hopefully get to it, Pastor David. But I need your help. And I almost wrapped it up and said, I'll keep this for Christmas and uh, then Pastor David can help me. But I need to go ahead and do that now because the other day we didn't have sound again. Yeah, and I need this machine connected. Thank you so much. God bless you, Pastor David, praying for you and your family. Hallelujah. Good morning to you, Sister Spinner. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, I was so excited about that. I saw that thing. Woo! I said, Lord, use her in your service to bless your people. Hallelujah. Good morning, Sister Irene. Early in the morning, I got that the text. And uh, thank you so much. God bless you. God bless you real good. Thank God for you. Good morning to you, Sister Dorothy Goodman. Good morning to you, Sugarfoot. God bless you over there. Thank you so much, Sister Dot, uh, for your work. I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy to find it and then put it. Oh, yeah, I know that's a little work. And I know you get tired. And in a day, you want to take your break. Uh, if you want to take a week off, Sister Dot, take your week off. And uh, we will fill in for you. Sister Jerry, Sister Irene, myself. We will fill in for you. And when you get back, we'll go back to praying and you go back to posting scripture. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. She the leader of the pack. Got Dr. Goodman. Been doing it for years for me. Yeah. And I thank God for her. Thank God for her. So listen, um, where did that Jerry go? I saw that Jerry with her hands raised and maybe I took too long. She went away. But anyway, uh, we're going to pray out this morning. I'm trying to wait and give a minute to come back. Um, we'll pray. What time it is? Oh, it's just 930. All right, listen, we'll go to one more song of the morning. And uh, after this song, if no one have anything they would like to say, I will pray us out.
right there pure love if we don't have pure love that means real love not 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 that mouth service but from our heart real love it doesn't mean a thing i can come here every morning for the rest of my life at 7 a.m to 10 but if i'm not doing it out of love it don't mean a thing i i can show matter of fact i found it the other day i can show you my degree it came in such a beautiful case. I, 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 I can show you all of the accomplishments and uh, 
things back in the day where the police and the news people got together to celebrate my son for good work and school and in the community and you know I can show you all of this stuff but if I don't have pure love for you it doesn't mean a thing if I'm not walking in the love of God it does mean it does not mean anything got to be real genuine love hallelujah all right so Sajera I'm coming at you right now good morning God bless you how are you Good morning, Sister Barbara. I'm doing well. I had a little accident, so I had to take a shower real quick, but I'm back. I wanted to, first of all, Barbara, first of all, tell everyone a good morning, and may God continue to bless each and every one of us. Heavenly Father, you have a way of showing us when we're trying to go left that really going right is where you were taking us. That man and his confession, New Zealand, God knew he get it, had to get into New Zealand in order to come into God's glory. We sometimes act our way out. I act my way out because people said, oh, her father killed her mother. She's just going through it. Oh, she's acting out because she's an orphanage. No. God, because we don't know what to do with ourselves. God has to show us which way to go. You know Proverbs 3, 5, and 7. Lean not unto your own understanding. God will direct our ways. We're so busy telling God what we want, not even hearing what he has promised you. God has given me a great life. But I'm walking around the house mumbling and grumbling. I got this ugly house. I stayed here 40 years. I'm not saying thank you. My house is paid for. Oh, Lord, I thank you. That every piece of furniture in here is new. Oh, Lord, I thank you that I have a washing dryer that can wash up my stinking clothes. Oh, Lord, I got so many bills. Did God give me those bills? Or did I make those bills up? Because they say, here's a credit card. Oh, yes. Now I can do it by this. I've overspent my check. God gave me a check. Now I'm outliving my means. So, Father God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you are directing my ways and paths. And, yes, Bravo, we love to laugh. That's why I call you, just so I can get a laughter out. Because that was a time when my husband died, I was so depressed. I couldn't even leave out my room. You had to literally come over here and drag me out my room. Mental illness is for real. Now I find myself getting up every morning to Russell coming in here. I'm so oh, I'm getting up now. Calvin is starting to get depressed. He's walking back and forth. He's thinking his dream ain't coming true. I'm telling you, Calvin is here. Give it a couple more days. It's here. He didn't want to come out and meet his, his other part of the team. He don't think he's going to daycare. But Father God, in the name of Jesus, you said it. And that's what I believe. God is not like man. He shall not lie. 
if God said it, surely it's coming to pass. In the mighty name of Jesus, I thank you for this time this morning, Sister Barbara. Sorry I was not there. But I can't promise the team I won't tell no more jokes. Because y'all know I'm just I'm just so relaxed and grateful to God. But not today. I, I'm not at my best. So everybody have a great day. And Barbara, thank you so much for the time on the radio today. Barbara, was I talking? Okay, I'm sorry, Jerry. I didn't hear all you had to say. I had to catch the phone right quick. But listen, I have to run this morning. I have an appointment. So listen, okay, I'm going Sister to... Barbara, I... the people heard what they needed to hear. Okay. Well, I'm going to pray out, and we pray the Lord bring us back tomorrow morning, yes, 7 Eastern Standard Time, for another episode of Jesus in the Morning. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your word today. For your word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. Forever, O oh God, that word is settled in heaven. And Father, help us today. Fix our hearts and regulate our minds in the name of Jesus. We thank you. We give you glory, honor, and praise. As we depart today, bless our going out and our coming in. Father, meet the need in our lives according to your riches and glory, by your son, Christ Jesus. And Father, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen and hallelujah. May the Lord watch between me and thee while we are absent, one from another, in the name of Jesus. Go today in love and peace. Share the good news of Jesus and give someone something of quality. God loves a cheerful giver. Have a blessed day. I speak the blessings of Almighty God upon you today. November 22nd, 2022, in Jesus' name. So at this time, I'm going to say bye-bye and have a blessed day. If you don't have your love.